Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. We encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com. Pick the giving option that works best for you and help us to continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Well, church family, again, I want to say good morning to you. I hope you are doing wonderful. We've been in this series on emotional health, and uh, I just want to go ahead and dive right now into a passage of Scripture where we see Paul speaking to a group of believers in Ephesus, and he says this in chapter 4, verse 31. He says this, Now get rid of all bitterness rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So today I want to speak to you from the subject today, don't fight the feelings. Don't fight the feelings. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, don't fight the feelings. Don't fight it. We all have these feelings and we are going to learn today uh, to not spend our time and spend our energy and our emotional health fighting our feelings. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you right now in the name that is above all names. We come to you in the name of Jesus and we pray that your Holy Spirit would come into this room. God, we recognize that there's no clever speech. There's there's nothing um, uh, interesting that we can do that will change our lives. The only thing that will change our lives is a touch from you. So we pray today that God, instead of us just learning more of how to manage our feelings, we pray God, instead you would heal us, heal us where we need health emotionally. We thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, I believe that this conversation that Paul is having with believers in Ephesus is is a conversation that adds value to a conversation that we've been having as a church over the last couple weeks. And it's along the lines of the conversation of our emotional health. Because what we just read here in verses 31 and 32, uh, I, th- I think we need to back up a little bit to get the context of what Paul is really saying. Because if we go back to what he's saying in the first part of chapter 4, we're recognizing that Paul is calling us to walk worthy of the life in which we are called to live as followers of Christ. If you look at the book of Ephesians, we see that um, Paul starts off kind of uh, philosophical, really theological in a sense where he spends the first couple chapters, chapters one, two, and three, telling us who we are as believers, showing us what it looks like to be followers of Christ and telling us things like, like we need to understand that we are seated in heavenly places uh, with Christ Jesus. Seated in heavenly places. That means, guys, we need to understand what he's telling us here. That means we are above certain things. That there, there could be things that you feel like are above you in life, things that are pushing you down and holding you down and you feel trapped by, but he goes, no, 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 no. If you understand who you are in Jesus, you got to recognize those things, they're underneath you. <laughs> and there's a, there's a calling that we have as followers of Christ to live above those things. So he spends chapters one, two, and three telling us who we are. And then he spends chapter four saying, oh, very practically, like we can talk about things all day long, but now let's get practical about it. He says, now I want you to walk worthy of that. 
Okay, so if this is who you are in Jesus, then walk worthy of that. In other words, you, you heard me tell you who you are, now live like it. Okay, you have a calling, so, so live like it. You're, you're, you're seated in heavenly places with Jesus, so where there should be things that you're allowing to rule over you that should be under your feet. Live like it and put those things underneath your feet. So in chapter four, Paul is telling us that if we wanna live the way that God intended us to live, that just like he showed us in verses 31 and 32, there's some things that we need to get rid of. Some things we got to put aside. There, there's some things when it comes to our emotional, uh, the emotional realm, our emotional health that we have got to put aside if we want to live the type of life that God wants us to live. So I think that there, at the heart of this conversation we've been having over the last couple of weeks, we've got to recognize that in order for us to experience what God wants us to experience, we have to be the type of people who step out of the box of our emotions who step out of the box of our feelings. Because if you remember, that's kind of the premise of what we've been talking about is that for every one of us, God has given us feelings to live with. That for every one of us, we have feelings that we're supposed to live with those feelings, but we're not to be led by them. That feelings are a gift to us. They're indicators to us, but they're never to be dictators. Because we can go through our lives and if we're stuck in the feelings, if we're stuck in our emotional realm, there are places where God might be trying to open a door for us, but we can't get through the door because we're stuck in our feelings. So really this whole conversation has been around the fact that, that, that feelings, are, they're a good thing, they're a good servant, but they're a horrible master. And, and really they, they can be good indicators or gauges on the dashboard of our lives, but they should never be dictators. They should never be guides to how we live our lives. So really what we wanna look at today and being very practical today, we wanna we want to take all of what we've talked about over the last month and say, okay, we understand the fact that we can't just, we can't just look at our lives and, and do what we wanna do and feel on a daily basis. We gotta live our lives a different way. Well, how do we do that? How do we make it really practical to get very practical today what I have to uh, to hopefully we can all communicate what God is communicating to us in scripture is that I can no longer deal with just the fruit of my emotion I have to deal with the root I asked my staff to come up with a plant that had some fruit on it and this is what showed up on the stage today <laughs> I've never seen anything like this I mean other than I, maybe you could put this thing on your head and dance or something I don't know but 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 I think for every one of us in this room we can recognize that in our lives we have different fruits that come out of our lives Right, And what we're learning in this scripture is that if I want to learn how to step out of just living my life being led by my emotions, I can't just deal with the fruit of my emotions anymore. I have to get to the root. Because every one of us, we have emotions. We, we have anger. We have fear. For some of us, we have anxiety and depression. And a lot of us, we spend a lot of our lives going to the garden of our lives and we're trying to tend to these things and think, oh, what I've got to do is I've got to take this issue of anger and I'm going to find a way to get rid of it. And if I could just get it cut off, if I could just somehow get rid of it, finally I got rid of it. And we're happy for a moment. It's like, I finally got that thing and I'm done with it. But the problem is, is since I never addressed the root, the fruit's going to come back. 
And they would go, man, I've been going to church and I just, I just don't know if this is working. Like I, I've been trying to follow Jesus and I don't know if this is working because after all, I cut, I cut the anger off. I cut that sin pattern off. I cut it. And what do you know? Look, it grew back. And, and I think for so many of us, we can spend the tenure of our lives. We can spend our existence trying to go through life, cutting away the anger and cutting away the hurt and cutting away the fear and cutting away all of these different things because we're, we're ignoring the fact that you can't just go through life dealing with fruit. If you want to actually address what's going on in our lives, we have to get to the root issue. So, Whenever we're fighting our feelings, we're, we're fighting the fruit. That's why we've titled this today, Don't Fight the Feelings. Because you can't just go through life fighting the feelings, fighting sadness, fighting anger, fighting all these different things, because it's going to keep coming back. What you got to do is you got to get to the root issue. And once you get to the root issue, if I can deal with the root issue, then all of these things that have been growing, all of a sudden they don't exist anymore. They don't, they don't have anywhere to come from anymore. So we see in scripture, what the Bible tells us is the Bible shows us that there's roots that, that God wants us to get to. And these roots, the Bible tells us, are lies that the enemy gives us that get planted into our mind. And scripture calls them strongholds. Many of you, you've heard, you've heard this before. You've heard the saying, a stronghold before. A stronghold is a lie that the enemy would tell you. And if it takes root in your life, then things start to grow out of you. And you're like, wait a minute, where did this even come from? What it is, is it's the lie from the enemy. And we see here that scripture tells us, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Can, let's just thank God for the fact that we are not left alone here, right? Like God is saying, I have given you power in order to be able to demolish strongholds. I've given you my word so that when lies get stuck in your head, when, when things come against you that are causing all sorts of ugly, bad fruit to come out of your life, there, there's a power that I've given you in order in my word to be able to demolish those strongholds. So to de deal with the, uh, these emotions in our lives. I can't just live my life fighting the feelings. I, I, I have to fight the lies. And when I fight these lies and I, and, and I can take these lies and I can uproot them and then I replace them with the truth. And that's the goal of this series. That's the goal of being a Christ follower is that we stop listening to the lies of the enemies, but we uproot those things and we, we replace those lies that are being fed into us with the truth. So today I want to talk about seven deadly emotions, seven different things that I, if I identify these lies, I've got to identify them and replace them with the truth. So there's seven of them. Do you think I can get through all seven of them today? <laughs> yeah, I'm doubting it. <laughs> so <laughs> probably not going to happen, but I'll be here next week. So uh, I hope you will too. We'll get through a few of these today, but I wanna go ahead and do this. I, I wanna get real practical. I wanna talk about what, what is the stronghold? What is the lie that the enemy is putting in each of us that is causing us to be able to go through the negative emotions that every one of us struggle with from time to time? I wanna start giving them to you right now. Here's the first one. Number one, fear. Someone say fear. 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 Fear, fear is believing that the worst will happen. 
believing for the worst outcome. See, if you can walk in fear, then you have the potential to walk in faith. Church, hear me on this. If you are living a life walking in fear, that means you have the ability to walk in faith because fear is faith perverted. Fear is belief in a word, okay? Fear is living your life trusting in the word, but you're just trusting in the wrong word. Right, Because uh, faith is believing in the word of God, believing what God says is going to come true, believing what his plan is for your life. But fear comes from believing the lie from the enemy. So if you have the potential, if you go through your day-to-day basis where you're like, I feel so fearful, what that is, is that God has planted in you the ability to live a life of faith. And the enemy is trying to pervert that by taking that ability for you to believe and to trust. And he's given you lies to try to believe and trust in instead. So fear comes out of believing the worst or, or sometimes believing the lie, but sometimes it comes out of an exaggeration of the truth. That's what the enemy will do. He'll take a little bit of the truth and he'll exaggerate that truth because some things are true, but when you take the enemy's twist and his spin on it, now all of a sudden that starts to produce fear. So the enemy will, will, will try to take something that, that, that is just like a mistake, just an accident, just a moment in life. And he will pervert that and cause us to try to believe that there's going to be a different outcome because it's his perspective on what's taking place in our life. Here's an example of this. If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, we see God creates man creates man and woman. He, he takes man and woman and, and, and puts this naked man and this naked woman and he puts them together in a garden and he says, guys, go have fun, right? This, I don't know about you, but this is the God I serve. And I'm thankful for the fact that my God's like, hey, I got an idea. Naked man, naked woman, you guys get married, run around in the woods together, have some fun, right? So I'll try to keep it PG-13 in here. Naked man, naked woman running around together in the woods, having a good time. God knows they're naked. He made them naked. He sees them, right? And they go make a mistake. And, and then God's coming out and he's walking, he's looking for them. He's like, hey guys, where'd you at? Where are you going? What's up? Where are you guys at? I'm looking for you. And they're hiding. They're, they're covered up. They're hiding. And, and, and he's like, what's going on here? And, and they said, we're, we're naked and we're ashamed. So we hid from you. And, and God asked a question here. And anytime that God asks a question, God's not asking a question because he's curious. Like, I don't know. Why would you do such a thing? God knows everything. So when God asks a question, he's trying to get us to wake up to a principle that we need to understand. He asked them this question. He says, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who told you you were naked? Okay, because I knew you were naked. I put you there. Remember, this was a good time. We were all partying. It was fun. It was, it was awesome. And now all of a sudden, someone else has come and taken the same perspective, the, the same situation and put a twist on it and a different perspective on it. And now they told you because of your nakedness, you should have shame. So he said, why are you listening to someone who told you something different than what I created? 
So we see something about our God and we see something about how he interacts with us there, where there are things that are gonna happen in our lives where, where we mess up and we have nakedness and we have things like that that are going on. And he's like, I already see it, I already knew it. I knew it was gonna happen before it happened. And now you're listening to the enemy and the enemy said, you should be ashamed because you're naked. Who told you that you were naked? Why are you listening to the enemy? In church, you need to hear this because there are so many of us that walk around because we're listening to something that our God already knows happened, but we're listening to the, the twist and the lie of the enemy where he's trying to tell us we should live in fear as opposed to living in the grace of God. Where we walk through life and we go, man, I screwed up. I got, I got way drunk last night and screwed up. And, and that just must mean I'm an alcoholic. Because who told you you were an alcoholic? I knew you were gonna mess up before I extended grace to you. I knew you were like, it, well, I, was, I got on that website and I looked at things I shouldn't have. I'm just, I'm just unfaithful. Who said you were unfaithful? And see, the enemy will try to take the, the mistakes that we make in our lives and he will try to cause us to identify with and, and put our trust in and our faith in the fear of that taking us into a different place where we are farther from God. And that's where fear comes from. So he spends his whole time trying to exaggerate the truth, truth of our lives. And the truth is we're all messed up. And we all need Jesus, but he will exaggerate that into saying, you're so messed up that your mistakes are gonna keep you away from God and then he can't use you. And God's saying, that's never been the case and that's not who you are. Who told you that? Your heavenly father wants you to stop listening to the lies of the enemy. And everywhere we go, the world will try to define you by your mistakes. Man, it's crazy how like you, you can have a sad day and people go, oh my gosh, you must be depressed. It's raining, that's all. <laughs> it's like, I just need some coffee. <laughs> Man, I went to the doctor's office the other day and I was sitting there and I'm reading like they got the, the, the TV on the wall and all these things coming up and it asks these questions, are you depressed? And I'm looking at it and it says like, are you tired most of the time? I'm like, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> Are you, are you agitated quite often? Well, yeah. Um, do, do you find yourself overeating? Uh, yeah. I'm like, I look at all this. I feel like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? I felt like all of a sudden God told me, it's like, listen, Dan, you just have kids. You're not depressed. You're a parent. There's a difference. Okay. It's like, who, who told you? Who told you that? In church family, we got to understand that there is, a, there is a lie, a root, a deadly root that comes up of fear in our lives. And it comes up when, when we start putting our trust and our faith in the lie from the enemy as opposed to putting our trust and our faith in the truth of God. And the encouragement to you today is that there are some of you, you're walking your life in fear. And the good news is, is, that, is that, that is a perversion of the fact that what God did is he gave you a measure of faith that he wants to, he wants to focus it into a direction where you could be the type of person who every day you're getting up and you're looking for miracles. You're looking for the confirmation bias of going, you know what, my God is good and he's gonna do great things for me today. And you look scared and you're saying you can't sell a house right now but watch me, I'm gonna sell the house right now. I'm gonna walk in faith. Why? Because I trust my God. 
He put that in you. So fear, fear is a, it's a deadly emotion and, and, and we got to understand this so we, can, so we can replace the lie with the truth. We have to clearly understand the lie. Fear is a lie that is rooted in, it's rooted in the lie. Either God is not good or God is not sovereign. Fear is rooted in the lie that either God is not good or he's not sovereign. Sovereign means that, that God is ultimately in control that he has the final say. That when God, uh, with, uh, there are other people that have authority. There are governments that have authority, but God has the ultimate authority. There are people that have power, but God has the ultimate power. There are people that can make verdicts, but God has the ultimate verdict. What, whatever God says, he overrules. Someone, someone else can say, well, that's the way it is. You've sinned, you've messed up, that you, but this or that, he overrules. That's what, that's what deliverance is. And sometimes there are people that will deal with demonic things and there will be powers that come against people because of different footholds and strongholds that take place in life. And they'll say, well, I have grounds here, but then our God who's so gracious will come in and say, I, I overrule, you get away from my kids. See, our heavenly father, he overrules, he's sovereign, he's in control. And fear is based out of the lie that either God is not good or he's not in control, but our God is in control and he is good. And people question this though sometimes when we witness evil. We witness evil in the world. The most common question I hear as a pastor is if God is good, then why do bad things happen to good people? And see, we, we see bad things happen and we don't understand that it, it, it can cause you to start to question the goodness of God. See, not realizing that you can't separate good from God, <laughs> that, that God is the ultimate expression of good. Just like you can't exp uh, you separate wetness from water. You can't expect to separate heat from fire. I mean, you can't separate goodness from God. God is good. And see, when, when, when we see things though, that like, if God is good, then why do these bad things happen? See, what we're doing is we're making God responsible for things that he's not responsible for. Because God is not the origin of evil. Free will is the origin of evil. Well, why do we have free will? Well, see, free, free will, you know, when people blame God for the fact that we'll, we'll just free will cause evil, then why did God give that? Well, see, God gave us free will because God created you and I to have a love relationship with him. And you can't have a love relationship unless there's choice. You, 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 can't, you can't say, choose me, but if I'm the only option, then that's not choice, that, that's bondage. He's like, if I'm the only option that you have and I tell you, you should choose me, that, that, that's, that's called slavery, right? And so God said, there's gotta be choice. There's gotta be free will. So God gives us the ability to make our own decisions. He says, you have the ability as my creation to choose me or to choose whatever else you want, but I want a loving relationship with you. So I ask you to choose me. And it's when people in our own free will make choices to not choose God and to choose to go a different way. That's where we see evil happen in the world. But we can't get upset with God for giving us free will because our choices are like a brick. If I give you a brick, you can build something with it or you can hurt someone with it. But you can't make me responsible for what you did with the brick. And see, God has given us such a beautiful gift of saying, I, I love you enough to give you choice. Would you, would you choose me? And then there are so many people though that, that we get confused by that and we say, well, if God's good and he's given us this free will, then why aren't things good yet? 
Because I look at my situation and it just doesn't look good yet. And I think it's because sometimes we prejudge things. We judge things prematurely where, where, where we look at a situation and we say, this isn't good. So, so does that mean God's not good? Well, listen to this, you gotta hear this. God is good. So if you look at your situation and it's not good yet, it's because God's not done yet. God is not finished yet. So you can't judge your situation in the middle of it and say, say, well, God's not good because my situation doesn't look good. It's like if you were to go judge a doctor and you, you go to the doctor for a flu shot and you show up in his office and he pulls out a big needle and you're like, oh, not good, <laughs> right? And he sticks the needle in your arm like, ah, oh, not good, right? You lay down in your bed the next day, your arms are not good. Like that was not good. You could judge it and be like, that doctor was a jerk. He's not good. Couple weeks later, when everyone in your office is sick with the flu and you're doing fine, you could go, wait a minute. Now I see the doctor was good. The doctor did know what he was doing all along. And man, I know there's people in this room that you could give a praise right now. Cause you could say, you went through some things where while you were walking through it, you were going, this doesn't look good. This is not, I can't believe this is happening. This hurts right now. But as soon as you get out of it, you get on the other side, you're like, man, thank God for how good you are. Thank God for the fact that that stung a little bit because you really are good. Church, the, the lie where fear comes from is that either God is not good or that God is not sovereign. But the truth is that he is good. God is so good that if your situation's not good, he is not done with you yet. That's number one. Ready for number two? I'm gonna have to speed up quite a bit. <laughs> it's like, we'll get out by the football game, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Like <laughs> Number two, jealousy. Jealousy. Jealousy is a root emotion. That's why we don't see jealousy many times because uh, we don't see jealousy as a fruit very often. It, jealousy is more of a root. So there are fruits that come out of jealousy that we can uh, identify with more quickly. Uh, here's some fruits that come out of jealousy. Competitiveness, right? Or, or sadness over someone else's success. Like, do they get sad when you get blessed? And see, once we really start to understand emotions, you can start to understand that there are people who really truly love you, but, but, but can be jealous of you when you're blessed. Not, not because they don't love you, but because of what's going on in their heart that they're struggling with that needs to be presented before God. Is there sadness over someone else's success or confusion about your own purpose? It's a, it's a, it's a fruit of jealousy. It's like, I'm okay with what I feel like God wants me to do in my life until I look at your life. And now that I see how God's used in your life, now I feel confused over my purpose. Or it's the same thing over material possessions. It's like, like I was content with what I had until I see what you have now. It's like, now, now I'm not so content anymore. It's like, I trusted what God gave me, but now that I see yours, it's from a root of jealousy, okay? Jealousy is rooted in the lie it's rooted in this lie. Jealousy is rooted in the lie that God's resources are exhaustible. So someone else's success must come at my expense. The lie is that if God blesses you, that means that there's less blessing to go around for me. 
If God blesses you, it's like he's got a pie. And if you get a chunk of that pie, then there's less pie to go around for me. And there are many people that go through life dealing with this issue of jealousy because we haven't dealt with the root of the fact that there is a lie where we think that somehow our God is limited. But the truth is our God is inexhaustible and he has enough for everybody. He has enough to bless you and to bless you and to bless people on the other side of the world and to bless people who didn't vote like you and who don't look like you and to bless the person who got the job you wish you got. He can still bless you because when God puts his favor on someone, he puts his favor on someone in order to be able to fulfill his will in their life. And that comes on an individual basis. So when God favors you and blesses you, that has nothing to do with how he's going to favor someone else and bless them. So he can bless you and that's not gonna affect the fact that over here he's gonna bless someone else because he's got a different calling for them to do. And I think sometimes we get frustrated because we want, um, we want what other people have in this jealousy realm as much as even influence with people. We think, well, how come you have a friendship with them? How come you have influence with that employer? How come you have influence with that business person? But the truth is, if God doesn't need you to have influence with them, he's not gonna give it to you because he already has a plan for how he's going to fulfill his will in your life. So we don't have to be worried about, are, are they going to get what God wants for me? Because if God put your fingerprint on it, do you understand no one else can get it? There are doors that only you can get through. Why? Because God put his favor on your life. God's not going to get that. Or that, that other guy's not going to get that woman from you. It's like God put his fingerprint on her. God's not gonna give that husband to someone else. God put that fingerprint, your fingerprint on him. See, he has a plan for you. And when we go through life thinking that our God is limited, but like you can't just go through life trying to go, I'm not gonna be jealous of them anymore. We have got to get to the root issue and recognize, wait a minute, my God's not limited. So if they got good, I can get some good too. If they got a good house and husband and, and family and dogs and kids and all that stuff, I can have that too. If they got a good cat, then I don't want that. But if they got like whatever it is they got, I can get some of that too. Jealousy. First deadly emotion that we got to uproot is fear. The second is jealousy. Ready for the third? Lust. Lust. Wow. <laughs> I know every time you say lust in church, everyone puts their head down like, oh gosh, my kids are in the room. It's like, because we think so single tracked when we think lust, we automatically think eroticism, but we're talking about emotional health here, right? You can lust for many things. You can lust for power, right? You can lust for notoriety. You could lust for possessions. You could lust for attention, right? Like he's thirsty, right? <laughs> You, you can lust, you can lust for, for more likes on Instagram. There's so many different things that we can lust for. And see, uh, when it comes to this, lust is an intense craving for self-satisfaction. And the danger of this is this, that lust is rooted in the lie that God doesn't know how to satisfy me. Lust is rooted in the lie that God doesn't know how to satisfy me because God, if you knew what was up with me, then you would have brought me what I need already. 
right? God, God doesn't know how to satisfy me. So since he doesn't know how to satisfy me, I, I'm just going to take things into my own hand. God doesn't know how to promote me. So since he doesn't know how to promote me, I'm going to manipulate and scheme in order to be able to climb the ladder and promote myself. See, God, if you, if you really knew me, you would know that I need to be farther along than I am right now. Lust is this lie, this belief that God doesn't really know how to satisfy me. But the, the truth that we replace that lie with comes from Scripture. And this truth is this, is that God is the good shepherd and he knows what I need. Do you know that the Bible describes us as sheep and he describes Jesus as the good shepherd? As the good shepherd, right? Like, because the good shepherd will take his sheep and will lead them to green pastures and will lead them to still waters. Green pastures represents uh, what we hunger for and still waters represents what we thirst for. So the Bible is showing us that we're his sheep and he knows how to give us what we need. He knows exactly what's gonna satisfy us. But the problem with being a shepherd with sheep is you've gotta get the sheep to follow you to the good pasture and to the still water, even though they don't know where they're going. So as sheep, we could be walking along the way complaining. Bah! <laughs> I don't wanna go over here, bah! I don't wanna work here, bah! <laughs> We go through life just complaining all along. God's like, listen, when I get you where I'm trying to get you, you're gonna see that this is really good and it's really what you need and all these things you think you want over here. I really know what can satisfy you. Do you recognize that your God knows exactly what you need? He knows exactly how to satisfy you. There's so many of us in this room that have been through seasons where you're like, I can't believe I went through that valley. I can't believe I lost that job. I can't I can't believe I got hurt in this relationship. I can't believe all that happened. We were so angry going, bah, bah. And it's like all of a sudden we get into the new season. We're like, thank you, God. I had no idea such a place existed. But we've got to trust that, that if we're going to uproot this, because again, you, you don't just go, I'm going to get rid of lust. I'm going to stop lusting after things. No, we have to get to the, the issue and we have to uproot the lie and say, you know what? I recognize God does know what I need and he's a good shepherd and he cares for me. And sometimes when it doesn't look like what I want, it's because he cares for me because he knows what I need. Now, I'm into sports, I love baseball. And there's a story about a man named Banjo Hitter. And um, my understanding of this story and how it originated was the fact that years ago, there was a baseball player who, he was a great hitter. And the manager would put him out and he'd hit, and he'd hit home runs, he'd hit triples. Every time he went up, he, he performed. But the manager would only play him like once or twice a game. He'd sit him down on the bench. And so he'd go out and he'd have success. And he's like, man, this is awesome. I had a great game coach. And the coach was like, you're doing good. Just keep it up. Just, just keep it up. And he'd get to play like one at bat, two at bats maybe. What started happening is he'd leave the game and there'd be people going, hey, you are, you are way too good of a baseball player to be on this team. They need to trade you off somewhere where you can get some more game time because you should be hitting every inning. You are the man. You're awesome. And he started believing it. So the year ended and, he switched contracts and he was able to get to another team. And man, he became a star. He started everywhere he went. He was hitting home runs. He was going four for four every game, just doing awesome until he played his old team. He got out, stepped up to the plate 
And, and the manager stopped the game. He called time, walked out, pulled the pitcher, put another pitcher in, whispered a little bit, went back down, sat down in the dugout and crossed his arms. And the pitcher pitched low and outside, strike one. Low and outside, strike two. Low and outside, strike three. Struck him out. Next two innings later, he comes back up, does the same thing again. He gets a little grounder, gets out of first. He goes, oh, for four that game. Well, news goes around the very next game. He's playing another team. The other team picks up on the weakness that he can't hit low and outside. And now he can't hit anymore. And his career ended. And all the while he was thinking, my manager is holding me back. Can you believe he's not giving me the game time? while well, the manager was protecting him from his own weakness. You see, lust is rooted in the lie that God doesn't know what I need. He doesn't know how to satisfy me. But the truth is our God is a good shepherd and he knows exactly what we need. So church family, as we continue in this series, as we move towards um, emotional health, we're gonna have to start looking at these things and going, I'm gonna stop fighting the feelings. I'm gonna stop just fighting lust, but I'm gonna start trusting in the truth that my God is good. Is this helping anyone? Then you're gonna have to come back next week. Cause that's a seven point message that I made through three points. So uh, <laughs> let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for how great you are. We pray you bless us and uh, help us as we go to look more like you. In Jesus name we pray, amen. I love you church. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. You can do that right now. I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on a cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.